Hello everyone, my name is Roger. I'm on the staff team at Chichester Baptist Church and it's my privilege to be here this morning in the glorious countryside and also to be bringing to you the start of a new mini-series called The Search in which we reflect on our search for God and on God's search for us. Our starting point today is Psalm 19, one of my favourite psalms, a wonderful psalm, and we'll get to that very shortly. But before we do so, I wonder if you can identify with either of these two scenarios. The other day I was having my breakfast and I remembered that I needed to measure something. So rather than make a note of it, I um, left the breakfast table, went to find the measuring tape, couldn't find it anywhere, so came back to the breakfast table and there it was on the breakfast table within an arm's reach of where I was sitting. It was there all the time, but I just wasn't aware of my surroundings. Or perhaps you can identify with this experience. You've gone on a holiday and you've hired a car and you've parked the car and then you've gone shopping or somewhere else. You've come back to the car park and you can't find your car and you think, oh no, someone's stolen my car. And you're looking up and down the rows and then you suddenly remember, oh, I've been looking for my own car, not the rental car. The car was there all the time. I've just been looking for the wrong thing. Many of us are searching for something. A bigger house, a trimmer figure, a better behaved children, more responsibility at work, or something like that. Because we believe that that thing or those things will make us happier or more fulfilled but we're actually searching for the wrong thing. What we're really searching for, deep down, is something that's a little less obvious, perhaps, but also at the same time, ironically, the thing that we are searching for is right in front of us. In Psalm 19, David, who is the author of the psalm, writes these words. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. David says that there is a message that is being broadcast 24-7, a message in a universal language. It's on an eternal loop, day and night, day and night. And it's a paradox because it's a, a speech without words, but at the same time it's a universal message that can be understood by anyone who has, anyone who is paying attention to their surroundings. So what is this message? It's a message about God. Who he is, what he is like, and what he has done. It is a message written in clear blue skies on a summer's day like today, and in skies filled with scudding storm clouds on a winter's day. It's a message written in the moon and the stars. It's a message that declares who God is, that he is great and glorious and majestic.
In the New Testament, Paul is probably alluding to Psalm 19 when he writes in Romans chapter 1 that God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. David goes on to use one particular example of the skies proclaiming God's glory. It's the example of the sun. He says that the first light of dawn is like a bridegroom emerging from his bedroom on his wedding day, dressed in his finest clothes, eagerly setting out to marry his bride. Or like a runner warming up at the start line, eager to get going to run his race. Both images are speaking of the same thing, the glorious journey of the sun from one end of the earth to the other. It's poetry, of course. There are many things about the sun that David didn't know. He didn't know that the sun travels at 220 kilometres per hour. He didn't know that in places the sun burns at 15 million degrees Celsius. He didn't know that you could fit a million copies of the planet Earth inside the sun. He didn't know that the sun was the best example of a perfect sphere in nature. There are all sorts of things David didn't know about the sun. But there's one thing he did know, and that many of us, I suspect, don't know. And that, that is that the sun is a perfect, glorious, shining example of the message. That God exists, and that he is glorious. And that he's right in front of us too. God is in front of us in the form of his creation, but he's also in front of us in the form of his word, the 66 books that we refer to as the Bible. Now David only had a sample of those 66 books, but even from those he had learnt so much. He had learnt that God's word refreshes the soul, like a cool drink or a hammock in the shade, perhaps on a hot summer's day. He had learnt that God's word is trustworthy and reliable, that you can depend on it to navigate life with good choices. He had learnt that God's word brings joy, the bubbling up of a song in our hearts. And he had learnt that God's word brings light, understanding, clarity, illumination. In Psalm 19, David has no intention of describing all of the benefits of God's word. If you want a better example of that, then I refer you to Psalm 119, although you will need quite a bit more time to read it than Psalm 19. But what David does do is give a few examples of the benefits of God's word. And then he sums up by saying that they are intrinsically, that God's word is intrinsically valuable and personally satisfying. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Once again, there are many things that David didn't know or didn't have access to. He didn't have access to scholarly articles or to archaeological research. He couldn't pop down to his local library to pick up a copy of the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita or the God Delusion to get a different perspective on life, for example. But there is one thing that David did know, and that is that the Word of God is intrinsically valuable because it leads us to God himself. 
just as the heavens declare the glory of God in universal language, so too the Bible, God's word, declares a universal message to us that God exists and that he is glorious. But there's one thing that we know that David longed to know because the scriptures that he read, the books of the Bible that he read, pointed to someone who was to come. And the Jewish scholars down through the ages have poured over their scriptures in an attempt to understand and to identify who this one to come would be. We now know who that one was and is because the Jewish scriptures, the books of the Old Testament, point to Jesus. Jesus said to the Jews of his time, You study diligently the scriptures, because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Creation and God's word speak clearly about God's nature. But the Son... Jesus, says the writer to the Hebrews, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. What we are looking for is right in front of us. It's Jesus, God's Son. Jesus is able to satisfy the desires of our hearts. He is variously described in the New Testament as the bread of life, the one who satisfies, as the living water, the one who refreshes us and brings us life, as the good shepherd, the one who watches over us and protects us and provides for us. In Jesus, we have everything that we are searching for. Jesus resolves our issues of identity, of who we are in the world. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So if we want to have fullness of life, then we need to get to know Jesus. That thing that we are searching for, well, it turns out that thing is a person. And that person is Jesus. But I need to warn you about something. If you find Jesus and I believe he is not hard to find if you are genuinely searching for him, then your life will never be the same again. David the psalmist only had the skies above and God's word as his guide, and yet even with those two things alone, he was very conscious of his sinfulness and his need for God's forgiveness. Peter had a similar experience when he realised who Jesus was for the first time. The Gospel of Luke tells us that he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. If you have a genuine encounter with Jesus, you will not walk away from it unchanged. In that case, you might be thinking, perhaps I'll give the search a miss. Perhaps I'm better off not searching at all. But I think that would be a serious mistake. For the reasons I've outlined, there is so much to miss out on by not finding Jesus. Blaise Pascal, a French mathematician, once wrote, If God exists, not seeking God must be the gravest error imaginable. 
If one decides to sincerely seek for God and doesn't find God, the lost effort is negligible in comparison to what is at risk in not seeking God in the first place. There's one more danger to throw in at this point. There is a risk that we think we can search for God and find joy, or search for God and find hope, search for God and find peace, or the meaning of life, or something like that. But the risk is that we are searching not just for God himself, but for God plus something else. Another author, A.W. Tozer, addresses this danger when he writes, When religion has said its last word, there is little that we need other than God himself. The evil habit of seeking God and effectively prevents us from finding God in full revelation. In the and lies our great woe. If we omit the and, we shall soon find God, and in him we shall find that for which we have all our lives been secretly longing. There will be some people listening who at this point are not at all convinced. You may believe that the universe came into being without any divine assistance. You may believe that the Bible is full of contradictions, that it's a collection of myths, that it's culturally inappropriate or maybe even damaging. You may not be convinced that Jesus is anything other than just a charismatic leader uh, if you're convinced that Jesus existed at all. If that's you, then can I ask you to think about uh, joining our Alpha Online course, which starts on June the 16th at 8pm. Alpha is a course for anyone who has questions about faith, the kind of questions that you might be asking. It's a six-week course. Some guests have already signed up. Uh, If you'd like more information or if you'd like to join those guests and sign up yourself, then please follow the link below this screen now. You'd be most welcome to join our Alpha Online course. The message I want you to take away from today is that the thing you are searching for is actually right in front of you. So the messages of the skies above and of the scriptures and of Jesus himself are there for all to read and to understand if we're paying attention. Uh, A really lovely story in the BBC News about two French boys who wanted to build a camp. And they went to their dad and said, Dad, have you got any stuff that we can use to make this camp? And their dad said, well, if you go down into the basement, there you'll find some old sheets that your grandmother left behind. So they went down into the basement, they found the sheets, a couple of heavy objects fell out, they didn't really pay any attention to them, they went and made their camp. But later they told their dad about um, these things that had fallen out, and their dad went to investigate. And it turns out that they had uncovered two ingots of gold, two blocks of gold, um, one kilogram each, together worth about £70,000. And the lovely headline uh, on the BBC website was French Brothers Strike Gold During Lockdown. And it's my prayer for you that you strike gold, that you find what you are searching for during this lockdown period, that you find Jesus himself.